This episode of the Italian Wine Podcast is brought to you by the new book, Sangiovese, Lambrusco, and Other Vine Stories. Researchers Attilio Scienza and Serena Mazio explore the origin and ancestry of European grape varieties in a tale of migration, conquest, exploration, and cross-cultural exchange. Hardback available on Amazon in Europe, Kindle version available worldwide. Find out more at italianwinebook.com. Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Okay, so here we go. So this actually, just to let everybody know, this is um, the Italian Wine Podcast hosted by me, Monty Warden. And my guest today is Joe Fatterini, born 5th of September 1969. He's a British radio and television presenter and wine expert. And it's no exaggeration to say you have a worldwide following. I, I do. Um, you say you did. No, no, I do. <laughs> it's all gone now with this interview. <laughs> it's uh, totally finished. A uh, hundred. It's about one hundred and ten countries. I think that the show goes to now. Right, and the show is uh, the wine show. So it's called the wine show, which is the oh, lucky. least imaginative. I thought title like you did the gardening show or the table tennis show or something. You think we do have a sister program called the classic car show? Oh, great! <clears throat> and another one called the arts show. You can see where we were going when it came to naming TV shows. Yeah, I think somebody said the other day our global audience is about eighty million. No, it's not bad. So it's reasonable. Not bad. Um, I do get stopped sometimes. In odd places, but the weird thing is that in the supermarket, in, do, you know, have, do you know which which aisle the loo rolls are in? I have been stopped in the supermarket <laughs> and asked that. Um, but often you find that, or I've, I'll get stopped in a country, not by somebody from that country. So I was stopped in Croatia by South Koreans, and in France by a Norwegian, and in Bahrain by a Texan. Seriously? It's very strange. And they, yeah, and they stop you and say, "Oh, you're that guy from the TV show," and you say, "Yes," and you say, "Oh, I'm a big fan," and you say, "What here?" And they go, "No, no, no," and it's. I'm from What do you say to them? Do they ever ask you? They just want to just shake your hand and get an autograph? Or I've been once asked for an autograph. My son's friend asked for an autograph, and he asked for it. He's a, a large gentleman. He was in a lazy boy recliner, and he, he he never looked at me. He just pulled out a little post-it pad and slid it across. And his very Yorkshire went autograph, please. <laughs> And then when I signed it, I put it back. He, that was all he'd said Did to me. Did he charge you? Pretty much. And then he said, I'll keep that for later. I'll be selling that in a few years. And he just watched Cash in the Attic, which was on the telly the whole time. Normally it's selfies. He did lots of selfies. Really? Yeah. But that's, um, I'm sure that's quite, I mean, you, you know, must love all that. And uh, I'm sure inside you're quite a shy, a shy, a shy lad. I'm obviously so, hugely shy and retiring. Isn't and I, so I haven't even introduced you yet. Why don't you, um, introduce, go you introduce yourself? Go hello, on. ladies and gentlemen. You've got as long as you like. <clears throat> as long as you like. Um, I am a Yorkshireman. How do you tell a Yorkshireman? He'll tell you. My name is Joe Fatterini. I am the presenter of the wine show, which is broadcast on various formats. Uh, Hulu in the United States, which is our big one. And we just started broadcasting on Amazon, a little prime video, which we're very pleased with. I'm also working wine merchants, which is important. You do have a proper job. I do you? have a real job. And I sell wine to hotels and restaurants in London. Uh, some very smart wine. Actually, but you're not actually out you know, on your feet with a bottle of wine in, your, in your jacket. Out on my feet really? with a bottle of wine, yeah. You're and not I, like in a suite somewhere and no, on the fifteenth no. floor with a champagne bar. I, weirdly, sometimes you say, "Well, I'll come round and I'll do it," and people say, "What? You come and visit customers? I see you on the telly." It's all well, trying to desperation as well, probably, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got to pay the bills. Brexit looming. So I trundle around with a bottle of wine. I have a special bag, like a roll along. 
to take my bottles. I, I'm very fortunate. I run a small team, so as so uh, of bags, <laughs> bags. My team have better bags than me. Bea's got an amazing bag. Bea. Bea, she's my Spanish specialist. She's brilliant. So, yeah, we wheel around with, with bags. Now I'm a genuine wine merchant. That was always part of the idea of the show because we have, in, in the format of the show, people not seen it and there is a chance you haven't. We have a two actors, uh, a slightly rolling roster of two actors. They are the normal people because they're not real wine experts. They're the they're, foils, aren't they? They're the foils. But the idea always was that if you presented somebody as a wine expert, well, how many of us go and talk to you know, wine writers? We don't see them very much. But we all know our wine merchant, and I'm a real-life wine merchant. Okay. So, I mean, you you know, you know, are a funny lad. I mean that in both senses. But um, looking at your CV, I mean, you have had a really varied background, haven't you? I mean, apart from the fact that you're a, a telly star and a, and, a, and a speaker and you've got a great sense of humour um, most of the time, and you know, your journalism as a wine correspondent, you have done had some sort of slightly oddball jobs. Very oddball jobs. I started as an academic in the university and he used to teach classes I remember teaching a class and it was about why lavatory cleanliness was the most important thing for hoteliers and then subsequently it turned out that hoteliers said yes lavatory cleanliness is the most important thing in hotels because it's the one bit where people sit and think how clean is this room but I taught for five years at a university in Glasgow I lived in Scotland for a very long time 18 years but you're not um, Scottish though are you? not Scottish at all no Yorkshireman I mean, got that one in early doors actually I'm yeah. quite pleased and I went from from that and then into broadcasting and writing and I'd had little bits as well I mean, like lots of people I sort of worked in wine shops when I was a young man and then um, but joined the wine trade in a way quite late I'd already been an academic and a journalist before I so I wrote for a newspaper in Scotland the Herald on wine wine and then I used to do sort of odd bits I had a radio program about personal finance yeah, I mean, where did that... I mean, that's probably quite a useful skill to have, especially in wine, because you can read a, ba- a balance sheet. But yeah. where did that come from? <clears throat> Somebody just said... I think I was doing a PhD at the time, which was vaguely you on money. You think you were doing a PhD? It's not the kind of thing that sort of slips by you. I may have bought a loaf of bread yesterday, but I forgot the cocoa powder. I mean, Somebody said the other day, there's a very proud organisation of people who failed a PhD. I'm delighted to say I failed two, which is an even smaller... Failed two? Failed two PhDs, yeah. One was on share price behaviour, so it was sort of on money, and the other was on the rolling influence of restaurant reviews. That's quite important for wine, though, isn't it? It's very important for wine. Interestingly, with restaurant reviews, and for wine, like restaurants, there's a limited capacity, and it turned out, in my research, that good, really good restaurant reviews are as bad for restaurants as really bad restaurant reviews. Because people think everything's going to be crowded, Yeah, people think, well, there's no way I'll get in because it had an amazing review, so nobody books. And so they're flat out, apparently, for about three months. And then restaurants with amazing reviews often die three months afterwards because then everybody thinks, well, I'll never get in because I couldn't for the last three months and they stop trying. They go somewhere else. Didn't know that. And I think with wine, if you have too good a review... Nobody can get hold of it. There is a temptation that once wine producers whack up the money so you get some sort of equilibrium. The danger is then that normal people who would drink your wine next vintage don't because you're idiotically expensive and people stop trying. And so there's a challenge with getting amazing early doors reviews. I mean, in terms of, I mean, on the subject of reviews, obviously being on the telly, you know, you've probably got some really good reviews, or the show has, and probably some probably not so uh, quite good reviews, I guess, I don't know, because critics always want to have something new to say. Even if they loved it, they'll have mm. to write a shitty review. Do you take notice of that? Does it affect you or the team? Or? I haven't quite been reduced to tears, but I take each one of them horrendously seriously until my wife effectively blocks me from looking at social media really? sites. Really? I yeah. thought you were a t- uh, sort of tough lad, you know. Oh, no, but they're sort of terribly... <laughs> 
personal I do take a certain what, pride what would they yeah but what would you know they may say that you're maybe not a great presenter or whatever whatever they, they can't, they can't no, there's only ever there's only ever one critique ever which there's is only what? one thing that anybody well no there's, there's two the main one is that we're pretentious yeah, you're saying you're okay. pretentious yeah. and then I take particular joy because people say oh you're pretentious and you're posh and you're this that and the other and then I have this sort of hobby but you're so not well I try to turn people round and apparently normally when people get very critical on social media they sort of say oh you're all pretentious and posh and everybody goes and gets very cross and then blocks them I'll then sort of chat and there's a guy from Glasgow and we're going out for a drink and he couldn't believe it that I'd lived in an estate called Rikesi Rikesi's really rough or it certainly was when I lived there it's a rough part of town it was a rough part of town and this guy couldn't believe that I'd lived in Rikesi which apparently was a part of town he wouldn't dare to go to and he said well you can't be that pretentious if you actually lived there for 18 months and we ended up getting on really well and he's like oh you, you know, you're all right for a pretentious bugger or something. Twat, yeah. Twat, I think possibly was. <laughs> uh, don't look that up if you're not an English speaker. It's a rude yeah, word. Yeah, it's a rude word in, a, in, a, in, a, in the wrong context. There are sometimes bits, you know what, something that you just take on the chin. The only other bits, we sometimes get told off for being a bit pretentious, which I don't think we are, but I think anything to do with wine, it's an easy critique. So people are like, oh, wine, pretentious. It's a lazy critique. It's a really, it? yeah. it's a lazy critique. Um, the other one, which actually is harder, is sometimes, you know what, it is three middle-aged men larking about. So we get told off sometimes, well, this is just three middle-aged dudes sort of larking about. You know, I do take that quite seriously. I mean, fundamentally, if anybody's going to get knocked off the show, it's probably me, and I'll be the one who gets replaced by, you know, a woman, a person of colour. But you've got Amelia there, isn't We've you? got Amelia, who's brilliant. Amelia Singer, who's the... My uh, partner in wine. So, it's two, two, so you're the wine expert. Amelia is She's a, a wine also expert. a very good wine expert. Wine, and then two um, actors. We've got two actors, right. absolutely. And then we, you know, we had Jancis in series two. She joined us for a series, which was great fun. And one of the things I quite like... How was Janice? Was she very straight? Or was she... You know she got a really good sense of humour? She or? does, but she hides it under a bushel. But there are moments of... She, I mean, she's impossibly clever. And every so often you'll just see and she'll say a remark and it's quite subtle. But you Nails can, like, it. that's sharp, mm. you know. Yeah. She is funny. She's really nice. Mm. And we had a great time. Um, at the end of filming, all the crew, who were a sort of muscular toned men and all these actors were all playing and me steady we're it's all, a family show we're all I playing know where you're going. water polo so we're all sort of <laughs> knocking around and Janice was sitting in this amazingly elegant Issey Miyake gown on a, and she was reading the FT and then I just looked and all I could see was Janice just peering over the top of the Financial Times as Melvin who looks like he's carved from you know dark marble is leaping about <laughs> and she's rather enjoying it I told Nick Lando her husband he'd rather like that story yeah I'm not, I'm not surprised <laughs> okay, so um, in terms of wine in general, and, and you talk, talked about being seen as pretentious, no matter how down to earth you are, how do we get past that in the industry, do you think? You know, I have a real problem with people who say, I'm going to demystify wine. Because I think a lot of these terms are it's lucky, I'm my mystique, first. stuffy, pretentious, snobby. They all slightly get overlapped. One of the extraordinary things about wine is its mystery. And it's one of the things that people have loved for about 8,000 years, is that it's sort of mysterious. And a lot of what we buy into is that it's a little bit mysterious. We're very bad, though, about saying, you know what, it is a bit mysterious, and that's kind of half the reason we quite like it. So let's embrace that and sort of celebrate it. And I think I sometimes see people say, right, I'm going to demystify wine. I'm here to go and totally strip away all the mystery and all that kind of stuff. And all you end up is, you know, nobody wants to demystify James Bond. I mean, the point of James Bond is he drinks really expensive wine in a slightly mystical, way, mysterious way, and he knows exactly what temperature champagne should be served at or whatever it is. I mean, is it Volney, which he insisted was about half a degree cooler than the rest of the Cote de Bain. Actually, we quite like that. If James Bond was drinking Chili and Merlot, there's some nice Chili and Merlots out there, people go, hmm? Remember when James Bond once started drinking Heineken, everybody said, 
well, that's an appalling corporate plug because it was, because that's not what he is. And I think there's a magic about wine. One of my big things is, you know what? You should serve the smallest. If you've got a lot, a lot of people, serve the smallest number of bottles possible. Just make the bottles as large as possible. Not just because it's kind of flashy serving big bottles, but I genuinely, I'm talking in, in Italy, you know, I have a bit of Italian sensibility. There is a communion. You don't have to be religious to get. There's a kind of communion about all of you sharing from a single vessel. And my brother-in-law's stag night two years ago. Steady. There were nine of us and we drank an 18-litre bottle of wine. Each. We all got home, we all sort of said, no, we only had one bottle of wine between us last night. It was like, well, why are you massively hungover then? <laughs> it's because we'd had two litres ahead. But, you know, it was fabulous, and we're all there with this huge bottle and decanting it, and then somebody takes the thing away. That, I don't think serving wine in big bottles is pretentious, I don't think it's particularly snobby. I think it is a way of signifying, this is my academic background, a communion between lots and lots of people who are sharing, you know, one of them, the great gifts to us from whoever you call it, Gaia, God, whoever. Yeah, that's the social aspect. I think that also the, the fact for the for the wine show, it wasn't just one talking head. It was a group of people that were, yeah. you know, the actors who were not wine experts, which you are, and Amelia, I think, is a wine expert. Is, yeah. so, so it was a nice mix of normalish people. And we all bring different bits. I remember when we had Matthew Reese and Matthew Good in the first series. Matthew Reese and Goody represented, I guess, two of the most common groups of people who aren't wine experts. Reese thought he didn't really like wine very much. But there were one or two he tried, but he was quite hard for him to go and find it. It's like, I know what I like, but I don't know what it is. Goody knew a little bit more, but he kind of wanted validation that actually Santamelion was quite a nice wine. And he would always say to me, I mean, I drink such and such. That's quite good, isn't it? I well, why are you asking me if you like it? Of course it's good. But a lot of people want a little bit of the expertise just to sort of reassure them, no, no, you've chosen a really good bottle there. Whereas Matthew Reese didn't really care. He would just sort of say, oh, no, I don't like any of that. That's all rubbish. But I have no idea what this thing was that somebody once gave me six months ago. But we do that. With, if I go and buy a new car, am I going to call up you and say, listen, I've just got this. And you're going to come and take you for a spin. Mm. That's a form of validation, isn't it? If you yeah. say, oh, I'm on to It's quite a nice choice, you know. Ask a few questions, even if you may be bored shitless, you know. How, how, what's the acceleration? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. There's, um, was his name Herbert Simon? I'm madly going off now into a slightly sort of weird bit. A guy Herbert Simon who came up with this term satisfying. Look it up, a really useful term. Most of the time, in most of the things we buy, and this is true for most people buying wine, they're not looking for the best. What they really want reassurance is that it's not going to be shit. And so if I go and buy a car, and I don't know a lot about cars, but what I'll tend to go and do, I drive a Skoda, is I was guaranteed it wasn't shit anymore. They're yeah. now sort of cheap but reassurably you know surely not shit as wine experts we actually don't shop that way because we know so much about wine that we'll sort of say well no, no I want the very very best and there's um, an economist guy called uh, Rory Sutherland a marketing guy and he said you know if you're an expert you aim for treble 20 because you kind of know that you're likely to get up there and you know you're more like the top score yeah the top score but most people don't because the thing is if you don't get treble 20 you'll get a one most people when it comes to choosing wine go for the bottom left hand quadrant of the board where there's no particularly high scores but there's no rubbish ones that's why everybody chooses the second cheapest wine on the list you're not risking that much if it's a bit rubbish but the chances are it's not going to be terrible but it's not going to be amazing either and satisficing when we talk to people on the show a lot of the time you kind of all we do is reassure people that amber wine from georgia you know here's two or three amber wines from georgia and you know what they're weird but they're not terrible. But you'll still be able to drink nice. them, and, 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 them and wake up okay the next yeah. morning. Here's the thing. It's £25. It's quite a lot of money, but it won't be wasted because you'll really love it. And people, I think they, that's what most people are looking for. It's the reassurance. 
Apart from telly and... Um, I mean, you've spent quite a lot of time on cruise ships, haven't you? No, I don't really know it makes me sound like... No, no, I know, I know. I did say ships at the end. No, I spent quite a lot of time cruising on ships. On boats. On boats. And yeah, I've worked with uh, celebrity cruises, which is Come a on. scream. Come on. Oh, it's an absolute hoot. And you go and do these, like, do shore excursions. So you all pile into a minibus and then you tank it off to some winery and you go around and everybody drinks too much. And the trip back's amazing because all of the cruise guests are all absolutely zonked in the back of the minibus. Everybody's flat out. They've had a glass of wine in the heat and yeah, they can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, I can't. I'm sort of all over the place. But yeah, oh, you have a brilliant time. And then you do dinners in the evenings. But you, are you speaking all the time there? You sort yeah, of, yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and you're getting lots of taps on the shoulders about completely un, un, irrelevant stuff. You've got to know your stuff. Yeah. Because as soon as you step out of your stateroom, they're not cabins, they're staterooms, you come out of your stateroom, there'll be somebody in the corridor going, oh, now then, I've got a question for you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so to get to breakfast, you've got to deal with nine different questions. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I like it because I like talking and I'm a massive no, narcissist. But it's, um, I went to a boarding school, like you. Yeah. So I'm constantly looking for validation. Is that it's, what we do? It is. It's because why is that? Though? In the back of our mind, the there's a car, age nine, driving into the distance, and you're going, "Mummy, why have you left me here?" As it wends oh, down. Oh, please! The my, prep school my parents drive. left me in a boarding. I had so much fun. I know. Well, I got I into to, it uh, after about ten minutes. I went but, to boy, uh, boys and girls with no uniform. Mm. Oh, that would have been dangerous territory. I was yeah. all boys all the way through. I was all boys initially for one school, three years, and then five years with boys and girls, no uniform. And it was like 10 miles from the nearest town as well, so you couldn't even escape. Really? Isn't it? Actually, the school's in the film Three Men and a Little Lady. It's the demonic boarding school they send the daughters to. It's his Baskerville Hall in the Hound of the Baskervilles. Arthur Conan Doyle was an old boy. And so when he had to model the worst possible place he could imagine, he simply wrote about school. Well, and he was bullied by a guy called Moriarty at school. Really? That's why I use the name in, uh, yeah. in his books. We'll get right back to the Italian Wine Podcast after a quick reminder that this episode is made possible by the book Sangiovese, Lambrusco and Other Vine Stories, available on Amazon in Europe and Kindle Worldwide. Okay, so in terms of um, the UK wine market, what are the trends there, or even globally, what are, what are you seeing? And, and also anything to do with Italian wine, how does it fit and how, how can it up its game or what does it need to do? In the UK wine market, I think um, Italian wine particularly, and I see this a lot, is there are these extraordinarily strong and justifiably so networks of distribution that come into the UK but they tend to be Italian wine producers selling to Italian wine importers who then go and sell into Italian restaurants that then presents a challenge when you want to sell to somebody who's not an Italian restaurant so we see this extraordinary sale of wine to Italian places but then when you go to non-Italian restaurants sometimes Italy still does very well at the very bottom end, and it's often of not very Italian wines. And what I mean is like Pinot Grigio and Prosecco, which are understandably huge. They're not really representative of what Italy makes. Where do we go and see really interesting Trebbianos, great value wines from Emilia-Romagna, really outside of the Italian domestic wine market, you know, Italian-style restaurants? So I think that finding new channels, new routes to market in the UK, and you know what, it's going to happen because... Importers aren't making very much money, so they're having, you know, you're having to consolidate into a smaller number of more efficient importers who are bringing wine through. Or sometimes really small little specialists who specialise not so much in a region, but in, I don't know, a feeling. So you see in, in London particularly, there are importers now doing really well who are just a bit more edgy. And some of them, it may be that they're more natural wines, or it might be that they specialise in an area of sustainability. But mostly, 
they're just a little bit more plugged into a more exciting part, particularly of the on-trade, or to a really interesting list of private clients. But you know what? Communicating directly. When, when you circumvent that funnel and you're talking directly to the consumer, I and mean, there are ways that people can go and do that now. So I think what we're beginning to see is you're almost obliging people to bring your wine in because there's a ready market for it sitting there saying, you know, we quite like this guy. There's all these interesting bits. You know, one bit I see a lot of, and Italy's so well placed for this. And I think the, the wine show... As a vehicle, it would be interesting to see what we could go and do to support this for producers, and particularly for sort of regions of producers. Wine tourism almost now is getting to the point where in some cases it uses wine production as a sort of cost-neutral marketing vehicle for the very high-margin business of selling holidays to people to come and stay in wineries. Because you have a really strong brand and you can sell the dream of come and stay here. I mean, you live it. It's what drew you to Italy. It's really hard to make a lot of money out of making wine. It's actually much easier to make money out of selling holidays and experiences, which we know are becoming ever more important as well. You know, I just sat in a session today. It was about younger consumers are roughly spending 40% more than they used to on experiences and about 40% more less on things. So people are actually buying less wine and more wine holidays. So where you can use that as a way of taking that holiday back home with you or as a marketing tool to bring people to your location to enjoy it. Um, And, you know, I see sometimes almost wineries bringing you know creating communities uh, you know of direct sales customers of people who visited them once it becomes the kind of wine they get really into yeah and then they also become indirect ambassadors don't yeah, they completely and this is where we stay these are the wine they invite their mates around for dinner to yeah. show off almost like, like yeah. oh we met the winemaker and and for every one person who stayed with you, it's not as though you're only ever selling one holiday to one group of people. Every one person who sells to you, they then effectively become exactly like that, this sort of ambassador. My family, when they left Italy and they settled in the UK, they moved into mail order. And the real success of mail order in the sort of early part of the 20th century particularly was this issue of agents. And you had one person who'd have a catalogue and would sell to all the people in their community. If you are able to create a bit where there's one person in Fulham who's been on holiday and absolutely loves your wine and is pouring it for all their chums and then says well, get on this list, they'll send you a couple of cases, you circumvent having to go and buy it in shops and this, that and the other. Um, and then maybe they come and get married at your location and so on. And, you know, I see a lot more of, of that. And Italy's so well-placed. I can tell you, and it's no great secret, by far the, you know, the, or not by far, the highest audiences we've had for the wine show have been for Series 1, which was set in Italy. Now, people enjoy watching the show in France, and it's had less time. We haven't come out with our third season which actually I think is really exciting stories but there's a natural fascination with Italy and you know Romanesque architecture and the food and the climate and the, the example I give is, is people often ask me where are you off to next Montine I say oh, I'm, I know where I'm going Germany okay mm. France mm-hmm, right. I'm, tomorrow I'm going to Italy well, can I come with you yeah honestly that's it's just so it's predictable. It really and is. It's, uh, even though it can be slightly chaotic and all the right, it took me ages to get used to Italy, and it is, but that's part of the fun. Yeah. People quite like that. I mean, it, it, I mean my cousin lives just near here, actually, in Verona, and he said it's wonderful to visit. It's quite challenging living here. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, I remember he once said it was going to take him six months to get a landline. So six months to queue up at the post office. <laughs> <laughs> and it explains why, you know, mobile telecommunications <laughs> took off so yeah. well in Italy, was you couldn't get a landline. But... It's a, there is also a part of it, it's a little bit like why Japanese people all read the Bible, is because it gives them a window into a shared cultural heritage of the West. I mean, it's something that 1% of Japanese people are 
Christians, 98% of Japanese households have a Bible because it's this amazing routine. In the same way, you understand lots about Western European culture just by going to Italy because so much of it has grown up. And indeed, there'll be Greek listeners going furious. But much of the explosion of wine culture in Europe, the number of places where you go to England. Now, modern English producers say, oh, yeah, we found a Roman vineyard up the road. And actually, Roman, Italian, peninsular wine culture spread it really through much of Europe into Germany and France and so on, Portugal, and indeed England. And so when you go back, you're, even if it's relatively subconscious, you're going back to something that's a shared, you know, uniting feature. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was very, very attractive for people to, to go back and revisit. So I think we will definitely come back and make another series and be based in Italy for it, which will be very exciting. OK. We'll have to get you on. Steady. <laughs> Now, just very first of all, you, you say that, on, I think it was on Twitter, a Dachshund Wrangler. I'm a Dachshund Wrangler. You right, have to wrangle Dachshunds. Right, that's, uh, what is a Dachshund? Bassotino. It's a, it's a little dachshund, so I've got a miniature. A dog. A miniature dog, yes. And half a dog high, a dog and a half long, called Dino. What do, you mean, sort of, what do you mean he's a dog and a half long? It's hard to describe them. It's, it's half a dog high and a dog and a half long. Oh, uh, OK. He's got such little legs. It's called Dino. It's called Dino. Dino, Dino. Dino, it's, it's a sort of complicated route round. The name has various layers of meaning to it, um, but it's not unconnected with Bernard Dino, who was a French cyclist who was known as the Badger, and Dachshunds literally means Badger Hund. Oh, okay. so I thought it was with a roof, Dak. Maybe I'm wrong, no? <laughs> no, Dax is a Badger. Ah, OK. And, and he'll go for them as well. They like to get under stuff. He's, um, they're very yippy. So he's a, is he a digger then? Yeah, oh, digs like there's no tomorrow. It's just a nightmare. And he digs the sofa, the duvet. Then he get him out and, you know, what he really likes is wood chippings. And he's just... Ch -ch 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 and they've got these big, um, they're like shovel, like moles front paws. Balls, yeah. And very muscular shoulders. And they sort of flick away. Um, dirt and everything, it gets all under there. It's very good though, because otherwise their nails grow too long. I've got a note here, and I, I really did my research on you. This is worrying. You, no, it's not. No, 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 it was after the Dachshund question, which will get edited out, but Joe seems to like Czech shirts. Now, that was my research, but a couple of months researching that, and you do have a Czech shirt on. I've got on. a Czech shirt on. You've got to have you... a look, I guess. You know, it was a stylist who got me into Czech shirts. Well, I sort of wore <laughs> Czech shirts. For oh, those stop. of you listening at home, if you want to spot a wine merchant in London, everybody imagines you look for red trousers and a sort of tweed jacket. There are one or two. It's a great friend of mine, yeah. Scarfy, always dresses like that. But most modern wine merchants are in London um, where those R.M. Williams Australian boots, boots a pair of n normally sort of beige or blue Cordy. chinos yeah, or okay. cords, and a Czech shirt. And it's a sort of uniform. So when we had to do the styling for the show, I went up with this stylist, Phil. He looks after Amelia and me. Amelia loves it. I'm like, oh, no, this is really glom. And so Phil has these two very different days with Amelia. It's like, oh, and there's clothes flying all over the place. You can't choose what you're actually dressed. Pretty much, yeah, we are dressed. Yeah. Do you dress the left or the right? If only I had the choice. I'm not Celeste <laughs> Patterson, you know. Um, I, I, it's an important question. I wear a firm underpant. Um, made of lead. <laughs> made of lead. Keep it all in. I can tell you a funny story about that. Oh, it's, it's really true. It's a family show. It's, no, no, no. It's a genuine true story. We, we film with these amazing guys. One of the most amazing things about making TV shows is the crew. So we're very lucky. I don't want to be too self-indulgent, but we sit with the crew. And we had this brilliant crew member. He was an amazing guy called Dave. All right. And Dave was very Lancashire, and he talked like that. And he was quite old. And I said, I said what are you doing? He said, no, I'm, I'm semi-retired. And I said, oh, really? He decided, he said, no, I just don't have very much work. So I'll just go down to my Maureen, my partner. Anyway, we were talking about going and filming uh, wine in Ukraine. 
because there are people now making wine in Ukraine. He said, oh, I've been to that Ukraine before. I said, oh, no, were you filming wine thing? Now, no, 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 no. He says, no, we were in uh, Pripyat, that place near Chernobyl. And uh, I said, oh, what was it like? He said, oh, no, we were in Kiev with these lads, like a an house, and with a tiny little place. And so it was quite hard to film. He said, I'm sitting on this sofa in the corner. Anyway, the, the, the lads, that, I said, have you ever been back to Pripyat, Chernobyl, since the explosion? And the guy said, oh, no. He says, we go back all the time. He said, you us? He said, no, we went back. He said, well, we all got told to leave, so we all went back for all our things. And, and he, he said, the presenter, he said, well, like, what things? And he said, well, that sofa for a start. <laughs> so, I'm sitting on a bloody thing. Radioactive. <laughs> Should have been wearing And apparently they got a Geiger counter out. The thing was buzzing like there's no tomorrow. And he said, oh, Kev's full of sofas that people are nicked back from Pripyat. So it's my Lancashire accent there. We do a lot of accents on the show. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Lancashire, that's yeah. me. I was at school in Lancashire, and they all talk like that. Did they? Um, did they? Are they? But you, you. Um, how come you've lived in all these places? You don't have any kind of accent at all. I weirdly, should say that I do have an extraordinarily specific accent, but it's limited to one school in the north of England. Go on. My first wife, so Stonehouse College, where I was at school. Apparently, we all kind of sound the same. And my first wife, I remember when we met, she said, oh, "I can tell where you went to school." That's a really she said she went to Stonyhurst. I said, well, how on earth do you know? She said, do you know my friends? She said, no, it's the accent. Give me a bit of accent. But it's just sort of like this, really. It's it's quite it's broadcast more... friendly. Yeah. It's quite neutral. It's a little bit northern. A little bit, yeah. Sound like, this will be lost on most lists, but there's a, a great broadcaster to. called, um, <laughs> a great broadcaster, Richard Whiteley, and he's sort of sound, it's cosy Yorkshire, really. Cosy Yorkshire. Yorkshire accents do, they carry well on television. You know, Alan Bennett. Although, of course, Alan, Alan Bennett talks a little bit. Play, uh, playwright. Playwright, yeah. yeah, and he talks a little bit like mm-hmm. that. But, uh, you know, good Yorkshire voice. So I've got Yorkshire blood, but I don't have any. I was born, born in the south, so I'm a softy southern, I'm afraid. Well, you see, it carries that, you know, sort of... Mm. You think I've got a bit of a Yorkshire? No. No, no. no. But you go up there and, you know, you sort of enhance it. He ends up sounding like Rhodes Boyson. Rhodes Boyson, the most appalling MP. Sorry, I'm now yeah, getting well, very strange references. Yeah, Yorkshire all... voices are very good. We have only three or four vineyards. There is one, though, that's been there for ages. It's Levin the most northerly vineyard in the UK. Yeah. He's now been superseded as somebody in Grange over Sanders. Yeah. But Leventhorpe, yeah, he was a chemistry teacher, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Funny little microclimate. So anyway, you're looking forward to your next project, and it won't be you won't be back in Italy with the telecameras then? We will be back in Italy with the telecameras. Do you know when you're going to be? We would like to start coming back in 2020. Okay. Um, and what we really like, if there are particularly one of the things that we we have to fund the show ourselves so what we are often looking for are now it's difficult sometimes with winery partners but where there are wine bodies promotional bodies we work very closely with the Portuguese uh, various sort of bodies like Alentejo and Vinved and particularly tourism bodies because we are kind of a travel and tourism show so if you'd like to talk to 80 million high spending travelling people with a very strong mix particularly of I guess Slightly more more women than men, better educated, you know, graduates, mostly coastal United States, UK, 90 countries, whatever, 100 countries around the world. Where we can go and develop partnerships with people, you know, we, we love to sort of work it out. We always have to make the show independently. We, you know, we have to tell our own stories, otherwise it seems too advertorial. But you know what? The Portuguese model has worked very well and they love the shows we've made. And I think it presents a side of Portugal that people haven't seen very well, an interesting kind of... And in a comfy sort of setting. Yeah, so, you know, drop me an email and I'll put you in touch with the guys. I just sort of hand people over to the producers and they deal with the sordid topic of coin. 
Yeah, no, it's, it is a sorted topic, but it's very important. But I think um, the synergy, I mean, telly's um, very expensive to make and laborious, and people think it's glamorous. It's not. It's incredibly hard work. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, um, it looks so easy. But, and financing it is, is, a, is a battle as well, and every second kind of counts because you've got every number of crew and there's travel and all the insurance and so many things that couldn't count. And also if the weather's bad that particular day, you set up a shoot and it's cost you a couple of grand to set the shoot up and then you can't film. So so um, I think the way forward is um, for sort of high-quality um, productions like yours is uh, and your company and um, the people that you work with, um, yeah, why not? I mean, if the Italians may maybe wake up a little bit. And well, you know, I just sat through a presentation just before about using video content, and there were some, I don't know whether they're fantastic, but these extraordinary numbers about the impact that video has. Online, you mean? Online. If you're, so if you're a winery, do a little video, <clears throat> even a basic one of your vineyards, yeah. pretty vineyards, pretty pretty buildings. And it draws people in. One of the things that we've found is that when we've gone and filmed with even just regions, we then often recut that and then people have been able to use it in other ways. Yeah, like a laboratory or something. Yeah, yeah, so what we're able to do is sometimes go, we'll make the sort of show, and it's quite nice because then we've got a whole, what we film at a ratio of about 22 to 1 or something. So for every hour you see there's masses of other 20, stuff. 22 hours use. that don't, doesn't yeah. end up on the turn. And that can end up in, in all sorts of other material. And, uh, and we've used it with some of our partners like uh, Celebrity Cruises and a number of people we work with. But it'd be really interesting to you know, get to talk to Consorzio de, you know, Candy Classico is one, but, you know, Emilia Romagna. Um, some of the places that people see less of, some of the sort of southern parts of Puglia would be hot, really... Man, yeah. Yeah, Puglia, we, we didn't really cover the absolute top and tail. We'd really love to go to Piemonte, but we'd also really love to go to Sicilia, Sicilia and uh, Piemonte. Piemonte for gastronomes, uh, Puglia for open spaces and light, amazing yeah. light and seafood and all the rest of it, very uh, unspoiled still. My parents just came back from Puglia. They yeah. loved it. So my father was for me. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Amazing place, and a trolley, aren't they? There's yeah. a little mm-hmm. funny trolley houses. Yeah, they'd have, they'd have it. On, they'd have a sort of a trolley with an ensuite bathroom when you came. One only, only the best. I require an ensuite. A flush. I, follow flush me on loo. Twitter, where I have yeah. my loo with a view. Oh, really? One of my big things is a loo with a view. Yeah, I really like it. When we travel in the summer, there's another one guy, Joe Wardsack, and we we share loos with a view, or sometimes poo with a view if we're being a little bit, you know, off colour. But it's amazing how many beautiful lavatories there are in wineries. Is it like a fill of book coming on? Oh, I, yes. I tell you, Quinta de Noval, the lavatory around by the um, Which is the, a, the a, a Portuguese uh, producer in the Douro. Port producer. The port producer, yeah. And they have the most amazing loo with a view. And it looks out over their National Vineyard, which is a, a national monument. I, I can see the good burgers of Brunello reorienting their privies just for your, on the off chance that you, you <laughs> may not only visit but have a need to sit down and contemplate I'm, the vista. I'm 50. I have a Don't regular need. <laughs> when you get to 50, yeah. I'll never turn down the chance for a lavatory. Joe Fatterini, thank you very much for coming on the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for uh, having it's me. It's been a real hoot, and uh, you're a consummate broadcaster, which is lucky, because at least there's one of them in the room. Um, you asked the question yeah. fearlessly. <laughs> thank you very much. Flattery would get you everywhere. And uh, we did manage to not talk too much about our private school education, which is, uh, it all get edited out. So. so I say thanks to my guest, Joe Fatterini, for coming on the show today. There we go. The Italian Wine Podcast, that's what it's called, I forgot. I, I'm kind of overawed for your sort of star <laughs> quality. I've I turned into a gibbering wreck. Be underawed yeah. by my lack of star quality. All that training I had. Short, bald Yorkshireman arrives, <laughs> yeah. talks nonsense, dumb. <laughs> you, 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 you fulfilled the brief. Thank you. Joe, thanks a lot. A nice pleasure. Anytime. Listen to all of our pods on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and on ItalianWinePodcast.com. 
Don't forget to send your tweets to at Itawine Podcast. Thank、you